It would be easy to start this podcast with a long flowing introduction and to tick off the many accomplishments that, well, Jack Katz in his 91 years has uh, created and achieved. And at the same time, that's not how this interview began. As soon as we sat down and I had his mic connected, Jack was clear that there was something he wanted to begin with. And without any buildup or uh, even preparation, he simply began. So I'm going to allow that part of our conversation be the first introduction you have to Jack Katz. And then I'm going to interrupt her after a few minutes when we take a natural pause and allow for a brief summary of who you just heard and potentially between the um, content Jack provides that begins this conversation uh, and the introduction I'm able to sort of given summary following that, you'll have an idea of how the rest of this might be going. Then again, Jack is nothing but innovative and inventive, and during our conversation there are many times when he changes directions in a way that I would be hard-pressed to say that anyone could predict. And that was part of what made it so enjoyable. Without further ado again, I'm going to allow us to uh, let Jack get things started. And then I'll come back in for a little bit of an introduction before we continue on uh, with my conversation with Jack Katz. Now, here's the deal. Thank you. To begin with, I've been a witness to all the shenanigans that have been going on since, since I'm... Uh, born and maybe before that too and I can prove that but what's important here is that what I see of our species the most helpless creatures in the world that become the most vicious liars in the world is that most almost everyone I've ever met at the highest echelons in every discipline imaginable are really um, in a state of um, disconsolate um, despair. They're usually, almost invariably, the, uh, the prisoners of fear, jealousy, and conceit. And jealousy and conceit are one and the same. I can prove that later. And on top of that, the cap it off, is that they're told by the elders who are jealous of their fresh start in life that they are the co-conspirators to the sabotaging of their own self-worthiness and their lives' creations. Other than that, everything is fine. Uh, you see, when, let me explain how this works out. It's perfect. They haven't a lie, the adults. Urban adults, mind you, because only through urban societies could all of this garbage been manufactured. If we had a hunting society in which people had to continually hunt, I mean, on their feet, there's no compound, 
there's no um, uh, huts or anything like that, but if they had to keep chasing game, if somebody caught a deer and didn't share it, the next time somebody else caught a deer, they wouldn't share it with them. So the hunting, the true hunting tribes, and this happened after the, um, the, the melt of the uh, last ice age. And by the way, so far as global warming is concerned, I can talk about that too. Have you ever heard of Emanuel Velikovsky? No, I know. <laughs> uh, he checked out the earth like nobody's business. He was a cartographer, he was a, he was a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a, 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 you name it, he went back into the historicity of everything. And he discovered something interesting. And then I wonder, I do want to go over to the origin, how we become so subservient to self-sacrifice and everything. But here's the deal. Before, before the flood, and, that, and the flood happened because, oh, what the hell. The flood happened in an interesting way. This might, you should be able to get his books if you can. Uh, they, uh, on, on the, in the north, on our, on our, in our uh, hemisphere, okay, the ice came from the north to the south. Okay. But where India was concerned, it came from the south to the north, pushing up the Himalayas. What did that mean? He then kept looking for reasons for this to be happening. And this is a little educational aside. I hope you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Okay. He took a look and he saw the ancient Egyptian tomb, the ancient Egyptian, uh, there's religious shrines and what have you. Guess what? They had the sun rising in the west through that window. What happened? How could this have happened? You see, you, you're, you're, you're a contemporary in many ways. And you speak to people in contemporary business with a very limited education. I lived in the, uh, what would you call it, the reference libraries all the time. There I was from the age of seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I was there constantly. I wanted, I had to find out what this is all about. Uh, but I just want to get back to the origin and then we'll go on from there. I, I hope you don't mind. I don't mind at all. This is important. I agree. When a baby comes out of the womb, okay, they pick it up and they slap it on the behind and it cries. Why is it crying? Is it in pain? It is in it. Even though it has all the predispositions to become a, a, a right-winger, a left-winger, a Nazi, a, an angel, whatever it is, a religious fanatic, the fact remains that air is being forced down its lungs for the first time in its life. It came out, it was being fed through its stomach. Do you know how painful that is? And yet that it has to keep breathing. There is no way around it. So every time he makes a successful breath, he's in a state of punishment. It hurts. So he says to himself, every time I do something successful, it must be rewarded with punishment. They go throughout their lives like this. And it's, and it's aided and abetted by those people who are jealous of its fresh start in life. That means everybody subliminally, including parents. Look, I, can, I can't tell you certain things on the phone, but I will tell you later on. I'll explain to you that I have concrete evidence for everything I say. All right. Now, here we are. 
What a species. We are no different than any other species in the world. No different. We go through the same cycle. It's called carbon cycle. You eat, you burn, you defecate, you die. And it's like a fungus. It just keeps going on and on and on. All right. Interesting. Uh, now, here's that child. He happens to have exceptional qualities. He's successful. You can imagine what that does to him. When he's told he is a co-conspirator to the sabotaging of his own self-worthiness, he already knows that he's done something exceptional. And I've seen this happen in Los Angeles, Hollywood. Name it. Everybody. I don't care who they are. They all, they all sacrifice their own ability to defeat what I call the survival techniques. The survival techniques, that little thing that's hanging up, that little baby, mm -hmm. to breathe. He has to do this. So it's, these are the real survival techniques. So they always throw stones in front of the road that they're walking on. See, and in an effort. So I had to play an interesting game during my lifetime. I knew that I was different. I realized that. And the reason for that had to do with some early things that happened to me. I don't know if, whether you'll care about this or not. But I, I think I do because it, I feel like it's going to really help inform some of the questions that I would like to ask right later. On, so, okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, as much five, as you're comfortable sharing, I'd I like to hear. When I was five years old, I said to my mother, do you remember that movie that you saw? It was a silent movie and, it took, and there was this queen-like person and then they, they kept cutting these new babies, killing them, then throwing them into the fire. That's just, and she knew. And from that point on, Jack really leaves it up to us. He's got a story to tell, a story that he's going to tell, because it's one he's been telling, and it's one that he wants to finish. He knows that it won't be for everyone, but that if it does engage you, then he has some elements he wants to include that he believes are important and he's hoping that you will find them to be just as, if not more important than they are to him. But who is Jack Katz? Well, Jack is an American comic book artist. He's a writer, painter, and he is an active art teacher. Jack began working as a professional artist at the age of 16. He had started out with C.C. Beck and P. Costanza in their studio working on a feature comic known as Bulletman and his career continued throughout the many houses that existed in the comic book industry during that period that from the 1940s uh, into the 50s was known as the golden age of comics. He worked with uh, King's Features Syndicate's comic strips uh, where he was known something as a detail man and he later worked for Standard Comics, Timely Comics which at that time was uh, run by Stan Lee. 
And then he went on to work for Fiction House, Skywall Publications, before setting on, on his own to create The First Kingdom. It was his introduction to a larger spanning idea, and yet this introduction is 24 issues and 768 pages in length. All of this capturing and illustrating and relaying a science fiction fantasy whose 24 books were written to mirror the number of books in Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. And what it takes to see a world, shape it, and bring it to life over those 768 pages and know that it's only an introduction is something of a mystery for me that I was hoping to unravel. And it was only by chance that I came across this opportunity to meet with Jack. But I'll let he and I describe that in our next segment. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. It is the one thing that human beings have that override... Um, let's say, the ability to reincorporate perspectives such as being uh, inventive. You take a product, you know, like Kleenex and whatever it is. But creativity comes from someplace else. There is no other animal in which so few, what is once in Churchill, he said, uh, never in the history of human, uh, human something or other, he said that so many, so, oh, so much to so few. That was the, that was the, um, you know, there was another poem that was written at that time by a, by a, a Spitfire pilot, and the end of the sentence goes, and I could put out my hand and touch the face of God. That is amazing. Did you ever hear about that poem? I did. And Dostoevsky wrote a book once. It's a very short story. <laughs> he, uh, he uh, was an inveterate gambler, and uh, I'm giving you a little information about him. He, uh, he, he um, on one, uh, uh, put the cards, one thing of the cards, he gambled away all of his royalties for the rest of his life. Well, Dostoevsky is a good writer in those days. You could write, in England, you wrote the Penny Dreadfuls. In Russia, you wrote pornographic stuff for the royalty. Hmm. So, so Dostoevsky was able to save himself. But he wrote a short story. His short story had to do with a jailer and a prisoner. Every time the prisoner came up to be um, released, you know, for parole, he got another year. 
And then one day the jailer said to him, why are you doing this to me? I, you know, I'm innocent to begin with, he says, because every time you look at me, you make me feel guilty. And I've got to justify the fact that I've kept you in jail. And also, and this is the kicker, if I let you go, I'll have to live in jail myself. Which is what most people do. Because jails are not, they're not the shackles, they're not the chains. And, uh, and, and iron bars do not make a jail. The, we are the prisoners, as I said, of all of these negative influences. We are inculcated with people who have lost their way and are in a position of power to teach at our processing centers. Now, we're supposedly, our processing centers are supposed to uh, keep our technocracy alive, which is, if we were to go to another planet now, with all of the intelligence that had been poured into these people's heads since childhood, and we come to a primitive planet, and we tell them that this God sacrificed his life for them. Uh, you, you see, we are not prepared to handle this. And also, we would be going to societies that are millions of years in the future. They don't even talk to each other. Subliminally, they contact each other. If you read about some of the real esoteria that's been going on among the people that are involved in ufology ever since time immemorial, I'm not going to tell you how or when, but I will tell you something. Boy, I'm going to get killed for this. Please be careful about this. It's important. At, at a certain time, I was doing some naval architecture. I met a vice admiral. Yeah, this is my end, I know it. Please. And I started to talk about flying saucers. He turned as white as that. He said, what do, you, what do you mean? It was during this, a certain war that we were having. He says, come to my ready room. I figured, that's it. They're going to take me to Bethesda, Maryland, 27 stories below the ground. They're going to play with my head the way they played with Einstein. <laughs> I said, he goes to his, his orderly. The orderly, his arms were bigger than your chest. He must have been 10 feet 4 when he sat down. Jeez. And he, he had two side arms and he had a cattle prod. And he said, we're not to be disturbed. So the door, you know, you know the metal door is on, a, on an aircraft. I said, why? Oh my God. <laughs> my young life, please. And he shows me four tear sheets. And he says, do you know what this is? And I looked at it. <clears throat> I studied Columbus's writing. But this writing didn't make sense. He said, he says, I said, well, this doesn't, I, I, you know, because what Columbus would do, he drew a hand with a finger to indicate, you know, th this, that, and the other thing. This would blow your mind. He said, um, what do you know about flying sources? And I said, I just heard about, you know, this. He said to me, all right, flying sources have been around before we were a planet. That did it. And he said, this is what Columbus writes. He was brilliant with calipers, in case you're interested. 
he was a brilliant. He could do, the, you know, all these exactitudes. 34 discs, five and a half times the diameter of the, uh, the, the length of the, of the Santa Maria. That makes it pretty big, you know. Circling around. Two of the Jewish sailors, what they did, this is shocking all to you. They committed suicide because they thought they went against Yahweh, you know, the God. And because either that or they burned at the stake at that time, so they, they went with Columbus. <laughs> okay. This is nothing. They're, they're, they're begging him to go back. They're begging him, and he said, no. He said, no, we're going to go ahead. And what happened was they, uh, in case you're interested, they um, eventually on the fourth evening, it went along the water. But they were iridescent, by the way. And then they went underneath the water and disappeared. Now, it's been told that, it, here's the deal, that one little disc, this is the way they bastardized it, came over for a few, uh, for a couple of hours, if they so carefully have edited exactly what happened. It was written in ancient Hebrew. Okay. Why did the, why did the admiralties of all the nations do this? If they found gold, they weren't going to share it with the kings. <laughs> huh. So they, they, they're very clever. <laughs> and admiralty has to do, you see, we can't have generals going to outer space. There's no land masses, there's no cartography. You know, you have to have somebody that can shoot the stars and find their way back if they can. Okay, so um, there's somebody else you should know. His name was Stanton Friedman. You know the name, don't you? For anybody who's listening. Stanton Friedman is, um, I know him, we, we talk to each other occasionally. He was the one who discovered about Barney and Betty Hill. And you know, and also the uh, the, the real truth about what happened in uh, New Mexico. Uh, what was that? Uh, what is the name of that town there? Ah, the, the crash of those sources. There were two of them actually. Roswell. Yeah, Roswell. All right. Well, but that's not the first time. In 1933, I found out an enormous saucer, 129 feet in diameter, crashed in Pennsylvania. And they cut it up somehow it, the, where the seams were. They couldn't cut any of that material, and it was taken away. And that happened, and it happened in 1941, believe it or not. Something was going on here. Now, you've heard of the Foo Fighters? Mm-hmm. Okay. You've seen photographs? Just blurry I, ones. Yeah. I have photographs of them, okay. Army photographs. Y yes. They've been checking every, all of our uh, maintenance, our ability. I'm sure once they saw us cross the ocean, they figured, oh, that, that's it. We're in trouble. They're going to come here. Either this is a, an asylum, uh, an insane asylum, or a place where defective uh, brains are put on hold, you know, or something. But I don't think they're going to allow us. Look how the space program just died all of a sudden. Something's going on that they don't talk about, and um, it, it's it's like it's everything is candy here. We have candy food, candy movies, candy entertainment, anything with with enough with enough sugar to drive us up the wall. 
Now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. Well, let me transition there from what you were saying about how these people, you know, form their ideas. And yet everything that I had read about the works that you've uh, really sort of made your own, like the First Kingdom, you knew those by the age of 12. In fact... You were going to see Alex Raymond by the age of 12, and yet you already, around that time, yeah. had fully thought out this this whole well, concept behind First was, Kingdom. Because I kept looking at biology, and I saw, there were photographs of the first few seconds of life. It could be a kangaroo, a blade of grass, a mosquito, a human being, or a dinosaur. There is no difference. Something gets kicked in. Something gets kicked in that is so subliminal, it is so small, it is um, a super, what I would say, subatomic particulate. It is so small, it is, you know, and yet it's there. And that's what happens. Suddenly it becomes what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's one core thing. What made the division? is something else. But I was going to go more deeply into this, but then I, again I became, so, uh, I wanted to start, you know, working on my things. So, so when most people in the field, uh, I, I put on a persona. I made myself as obnoxious as I could because I could tell that a lot of the artists were jealous of my ability and I didn't care. But the point is, you, you don't, you don't, go around vaunting, boasting, you know, about what you have. I knew that it was an accident. I knew that creativity is an accident. When you ask me how I got these ideas. I saw how everything was manufactured, the gases, the liquids, the solids, convoluted into phantasmagorical shapes, diaphanous, but I also saw that through that phantasmagorical cloud layer, let's say, or, or, or smoke, I could see that there was something there. And when I talk about in, beyond, the beyond, the state before existence, you see, we are the result of the waves that are constantly coming from what was once a great calamity. That state before existence was amazing. Existence was built to try to reconstruct something. This is why everything has all these flaws and, and um, defective business and, and, and uh, all, all these things. We, we, everybody has dark. You, every, everybody has dark moods. Um, where the comic book industry was important in one respect. I worked for, let me see, National, uh, uh, Timely at that time, you know. Um, let me see, um, Fiction House, uh, 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 what is his name? Uh, the, the, I even did a couple of things with Bass, and he, I just did the penciling. Uh, um, all the companies, actually, uh, seven companies. 
I walked away from King Features Syndicate. They told me I was making a mistake. They wanted me to take over, be an assistant to Alex and do uh, with Kirby and stuff. No, I loved Alex, but, you know. And I could see he was doing things that, uh, Alex was such a romantic. When he went to Hollywood, he met, I think, if this is true, I got this from little Joe up there. He said he he met uh, Hilton, you know, James Hilton, who did uh, Lost Horizon. James Hilton had this white camel hair coat with the buckle holding none and this mustache and the hair. Alex was, everybody was crazy about him. James Hilton, but then nobody knew if he was dying of cancer by the time he was here. Really? And um, look, all of these people, George Gershwin died at 36, brain tumor. I mean, uh, that was a bad year. Ravel died the same year. Uh, oh, so many died the same year. It was a bad year. 36 and 37 was just horrible. Uh, actually, it was 37, I'm sorry. Well, okay. And uh, like a wave came and took away so much of what we had. Uh, WC would not compose after World War I broke out. He said, this beautiful stuff was not meant for people. We, we were barbarian. We just keep killing each other. And he, uh, he stopped composing and he died within a year. Mm. Cancer, he, he just, he was able to sustain to a point. Uh, so many, look. But Raymond was a romantic and he was somehow able to Raymond, continue. actually what he did was, he took over Rip Kirby, as you know, and with Rip Kirby, he um, he was doing very well. He had about seven assistants, which I hated, because they were doing a lot of his work, you know. He wanted to run around and be the glamour boy. And I don't blame him in some ways. He's a very good-looking man. And he... Um, you think he was just tired? You know, knew how much no, work it was and if he could give it off to assistants? No, or he was uh, lazy? One day we were talking and I said, look, I loved, I loved uh, Flash Gordon, I said, why did you get rid of the Hawkman and things? He said, well, the Bible Belt, they wouldn't accept it. So he was pressed for that. His God was my God in that time, was Hal Forster, who was the great artist of that period. Say it again? Hal Forster. Hal Forster, Yeah, sorry. right, okay. Now, Alex said that um, he didn't realize that he did a Sunday page and he's getting paid once. He says, but now I'm working six times a week, six dailies a week. Uh, you know, and all of a sudden, he's no longer the artist. He didn't, have, you know, he kept saying to me, Jack, when I'm 40, I'm going to become the greatest artist in the world. Well, I think he died at the age of 47. He was in a crash, you know. He, did you know what happened to him? Stan Drake, you know the name? Mary Perkins? Yes. But for anybody who's listening, just a brief... I know. Here it is. So, he, Alex lived on uh, uh, Cherry Lane, which was a kind of windy road. So Stan Rake was going to show how good he could do these cornerings. And he goes up there and he goes down. Well, Alex was older at that time. He didn't have the same ability to respond quickly enough. So uh, I think Stan did it twice. Then Alex gets in the car and says, I'll show you. He goes down halfway through. He hits a telephone pole and hits it and cuts him in half. Mm. That's how Alex died. Hubris 
the idea of being young forever, all this nonsense is just something we are bought, period. It is not real. And so you've got to be very careful. Uh, it, it shook up King Features completely. It shook up everybody. Uh, Stan Drake was never the same. I think he ended up by doing Little F and Annie or something like that. But uh, the field has the field has been filled with the same tragedies as the theater or uh, or the motion picture industry. And this has to do with the people who do the work, uh, and um, as far as the directors are concerned, they're also pretty much most of them were were editors, which is the only way you put a movie together so people. And, uh, as as uh, Daryl Alexander said, that uh, not Daryl, but I think it was uh, the other guy, uh, Brian. Who, who's the who was the guy I uh, talking to? No, no, no. The, the one that I knew. Um, yeah, Frank. Frank, you, you watch a movie by the seat of your pants. What did he mean by that? He said if he starts squirming in his seat. That scene is on too long, about too long. <laughs> you know, you can't, you, if he's doing that, he can't imagine the audience, you know. How long do you drag out this or that? For the most part, most of the stories, there are about seven plots, I guess you could say. But creativity telescopes that. So the synchronicity. Synchronicity. This, why did this happen this particular day? Whatever it is that's keeping me going is very powerful. It is something, and uh, yes, I do believe in God, the God that Einstein was talking about. He said, he see that the air, this, it's got to be all or nothing. All or nothing? I don't think he has a particular bunch of people in mind that he's going to select. This has to do with a lot of the expressions, even from the hologists to the Greeks, to the, you name it. You know, there's something going on. And this is why creativity is so important. It comes from an entirely, it comes from an entirely different content and context of existence. And, uh, and it is the major driving force behind, look, if, if my, my former wife at UC Berkeley, they had 17 of the so-called Einsteins. None of them were ever going to become an Einstein. They were a bad imitation of Einstein at, at best. They used that as a role model rather than trying to find the genius within. But something you've been pointing at is that whenever someone was a genius, they yeah. were an originator. They weren't ever following a role that, model. That's right. They were actually forging their own that's path. Right. And those are the people that, the, these are the people that they, uh, these are the shoulders that they stood on. See? Right. And I understand, and so that you can't, it's like, I'll never forget when Kennedy became president, the hairdo was a Kennedy hairdo. Everybody's trying to become something they're not. Because there's where you get notoriety, there's where you get this, that, and everything. And find yourself, hmm. at the very least, what are you, who are you? what's really going on has the inculcation of all the belief systems 
filtered into your ability to interpret existence around you and yourself so that you can you could safely say that I'm a member of the party or 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 part of our social content I would like to talk about comics now and I know you have some real questions for me well I think actually what you've been saying so far leads in really well to some of the things that I think are the most important with what you were contributing to comics especially because at the age of 12 you go to see Alex Raymond you've also already begun to visualize the whole scope of what you're going to later do with the first kingdom yes and you chose the route of you know going to work for Alex later at the age of 19 no I didn't work for Alex I worked I worked for King Features sorry that's right you worked for King Features thanks for correcting that I appreciate it and uh, then at the same time I was doing work for Timely uh, not timely. Uh, it was what was Stanford the standard. I'm sorry. So I, you know, I, I got to do that. There's a good dossier on me, pr- pretty much. Uh, v- Jim, well, yeah, Jim, Jim Verabanka, uh, who um, is an interesting person, uh, did a pretty good breakdown on a lot of my stories. I think he got 88 out of the uh, maybe almost close to 200 stories, but he he did do a, a good reference on me. Uh, so far as the, the, this is the clinical approach to almost anything. So you get down, it, so then people, it's like, when did Columbus discover America? 1492. So you have that. <laughs> it reminds me very much of, there is a baseball game that goes to 35 innings starting in the morning. And the score, and the store, and the store. Hey, so. And, 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 yeah. And, and, the, and the store is nothing, nothing, okay, after 35 innings. So whoever said, well, then nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> you see? I do. <laughs> the bottom line is so <laughs> we have to look at things very realistically. <laughs> you can't, you know, th- 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 there's a purpose and an understanding of everything. Well, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. For just a few of these, I'm just going to shoot out the name, and you tell me yeah, either okay. a bullet impression or if you want to go into why, short version or long go, version go about them. Uh, CC Beck, Pika oh, Stanza Studio. I, I stayed with uh, I stayed with his um, his what was the name of that writer? I stayed with him. It was during my divorce, uh, the second divorce or the third. I don't know which one. Uh, uh, I'm a three-time loser. Okay, <laughs> 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 so. Um, uh, well, no, he was uh, very important. Uh, so I stayed at his home, and then his daughter also was going through divorce, and the both of us were miserable together. And uh, it was uh, she was very bitter. I wasn't bitter. I was just in a, in a state of uh, disbelief more than anything else. You know, I didn't want. It. On the other hand, I look. I've done during the time I went through my. Um, the sexual prime. <laughs> I didn't realize that I'm a man that wants to disperse all his seeds. Uh, you call it sex? No. It's the, the instinct to replicate. There are only three instincts. The instinct to survive, the instinct to replicate, and the instinct to migrate. You say, what do you mean the instinct to migrate? Do you know why you're sitting here? Do you know where your blood, your blood is doing, going around your body? Do you know the speed it's going through? It's amazing. Yes, 
we did come, the, the life spore or the panspermia came from someplace. We are, we are migratory animals. And uh, <coughs> unlike birds, we don't have this fixed root. And you look at the salmon, they have to go back to the place they were born from over barriers, getting eaten by bears and things like that, my heaven, so that one or two get through, there's enough row in there, or what's called the eggs, to then replicate salmon again. We don't understand so much. We are completely devoid of the knowledge that we have. Insect, and, and insects are very important. Without insects, think, think of ants. What a logical, what a logical, harmonious world that they have in. They, they continually, of course, they have a, a, the queen egg or whatever it is, but they do this constantly. You know, it, it's a continuum. It just goes on and on. They don't care who's president. They don't care king. They don't care who, who, who's shot or anything. They do their thing, and they don't care about anything else. We're a more complicated condition. We're, we are the most helpless animals in the world when we're born. Our butts have to be wiped. Our nose has to be blown, whatever it is. But I'll tell you one thing. One of the reasons for archaeology, one of the reasons for going back into the past, th there must have been a golden age. There must have been this, that, and the other thing. We keep digging up and digging up. And yeah, this is where we really came from. And you know what they did? They did the same thing, and they did the same reproduction, and they had the same jealousy and envy, and they wrote stories about not, and though they keep going back and back, they're trying to find, they're trying to find that happy state. The only people that find that artificial happy state are the people wealthy enough to when they were young, as young children, before they realized that they were part of a corporate mentality in their homes, to buy into country clubs. And guess what they do in country clubs? They play bowling again. Yes, it's called golf. Oh my God. And they have the right to play bowling. And they, you know, and afterward they talk about breaking people in Wall Street while they're playing bowling. But this is it. They want to play. They want. They want to go back to that chart. With the, the, to their own renaissance, to the time that they were free of any obligation, uh, being sent to whatever schools there were to, for, for this uh, demand that the, that the wealth would, that they will inherit have, will charge them with. So yes, and so everybody goes back. They go back. In fact, one of the wonderful stories, it was a Greek story, I think it was Peleus and Melisante. Uh, uh, a, a very good, and some of the composers compose some good stuff to this. To keep that sexual prime, uh, these two lovers in ancient uh, Greece at that time, they needed, they needed to, to keep it. They didn't realize it was such a good thing, they didn't want to get old in a sense. So they called on Pam, and Pam blessed them with this. So it's, it's, um, what did he call it? Um, wish fulfillment. See, <laughs> and fine. Okay, so they so they had wish fulfillment. Great, that's wonderful. I'm not going to argue with that. The only thing is that these wishes have to do with illusions about our childhood, about our sexual prime, about the conditioning, about what it took to put us together as this extraordinary kind of creature. It, it, we're different than anything. 
and then creativity is even more extraordinary than that my creativity comes from my dreams did I tell you about the my my aunt and her psychiatrist uh, yes boyfriend? yeah and I had these dreams and I I made the mistake of talking about it boy oh boy you don't know and I thought that everybody did <laughs> well, I was singled out and I'll tell you and I didn't mind being, but for a while it's egocentric. It's just like a kid who's told him he's a nasty child because the parents are jealous of him. So he becomes a nasty child, he becomes a nasty person. So this is his role in life. At least he has something going for him. Good, bad, or indifferent. And this is what people do. They buy into how they were inculcated from any given direction, socially, uh, military, whatever it, it, whatever it takes. And there's nothing right or wrong with it. We are like little parrots. We're like little monkeys. We imitate. We do this, that, and the other thing. And we steal from each other, which is what is done in Hollywood. And now we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with this word from our sponsor. Fear is such an incredible instrument, you know, and people don't want to be... I'm, I'm, I am learning more and more every day. I study anatomy more and more, not the way other people do through the anatomy books, although they're wonderful. They cannot give you the life that you have to put into the art. If you look at my drawings, you'll see they're alive. See, I give these people, and not only that, but I have endowed my, my people in the stories. With, and by the way, the anatomy that I do is very good for the younger artists. I now know that Quite a few of the teachers around here have been using my anatomy books, the ones that I made, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to, to, uh, to use. And most, most of them get, uh, uh, I don't take apart the, the hand, I draw the whole figure, I show it in, in uh, the rhythm and the verve that it has. And um, <clears throat> the Elan comes from this spark of creativity. And as I said, this is incredible. This place, you don't know, this place, at this time of day, it's like a maelstrom. You can't imagine. It's filled with people. And well, you've been here before. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's amazing. I mean, like I, I said, I we ended I, up just grabbing some seats in the back because it was so crowded. I know, and so, so, and so this has happened all my life. When push comes to shove, I was ready to, you might as well know, I was ready to, I don't care. I was ready to take my life a few years ago. Uh, because I felt that I had, I'd failed everyone. I thought that I was older than everyone. It was my responsibility to take care of everybody. This was at the back of my mind. So I wrote quite a number of letters to a number of people, not apologizing, saying that I was very clinically realistic about this. You can't create a realistic fantasy unless you're a realist. And uh, something happened which prevented that. I'm not going to go into that, but I owe a number of people something which saved my life, truly saved my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you now. And that's another thing. Here's another instance, you see. And I don't go around. A number of people have tried to interview me. I mean this. I just, from the way they talk, from the way they, you know, um, you know I can get you under my belt. 
In fact, there was a big bunch of people that came to my home with all these cameras and these lights and these, and they were there for, for how long was it? About eight or nine hours. Yeah, they were there a long time. And so this thing was put together just about underground comics, which is the only way I could get my work out. The overgrounds would not publish this. They were hygienic. They didn't believe in that, you know, you couldn't, but to them a naked breast was a blot on their life. But these, these people, I don't know if we're ever going to come out with this thing, you know. And I spoke to them, basically, I only spoke to them about the hard work of, of uh, the uh, nature of the comic book field itself. What I've done is I've opened up and I've told you about the predispositions that were inculcated with real... Till this day, if I shut my eyes, I can see these things. It's always with me. Always. There's no way to change that. And um, I guess that's the nature of creativity, although I'm taking it from someplace else. So mine is not exactly a creativity. What I'm doing is I'm being an, an, edit, an interpreter. Okay. I'm, I'm giving you a, a, a praises. Better than that, I'm giving a... a, 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 a it's not just a synopsis. It's a expositional you know, something that I can, in, in detail. But maybe that's what creativity is, the ability to be tapped into something unlike anything that is exists or is extant today with any of the disciplines and, and you know, uh, uh, go forward with it. It's not that I'm ambitious. I, I'm the driving force behind my motivation is something that is inexplicable inexplicable because it's been with me when I was drawing uh, when I was about they told me one and a half years old I was drawing on the walls and my mother had to move from one place to another yeah and uh, this was in Canada and then finally my grandmother said oh, we'll take you in you know and there were no walls to, to draw figures and things like that and I remember it so well. I, uh, I, uh, they used to bathe me in this this basin that was made out of wood, and I used to get splinters in my feet. <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, but one thing I will say: when I was two years old, and I don't know how this happened, my father took the train from Canada all the way across the country to what we know as Paramount Studios. And he got in there. How could he? I mean, I didn't know how. I didn't really, you know, to me, everything was commonplace. And he met Evelyn Matt. Evelyn, what was her name? Uh, Evelyn. Uh, 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 George. Knapp. Uh, Evelyn Knapp. And she had been doing a jungle picture at the time or a series. And he put me on her lap to, to babysit. To this day, I could smell, you know, they had this jungle clothes, but they put, like, perfumes on it and things. <laughs> and I looked up at it, human gorgeous thing I've ever seen in my life. And she gave me a banana. <laughs> then some other of the stars, <laughs> one of the other women came by. My father was only there for about maybe half a day, maybe a little longer. 
you had to speak to somebody. I don't know what it was about. I don't care what it was about. And then we went back to Canada. Now George Knapp, who is a talk jockey at, uh, in, in uh, Las Vegas, does not know anything about this. And at one time, I would have done anything to have been on his program because I thought I could have sold more kingdoms. But now, I don't care. It's not important. I'd rather somebody like you who sees this thing cold and is, you're taken with the thing. See, it's real to you. George is almost jaded with all the people that he talks to. And it's with, he, he just talks to these people about UFOs and how this one got, it was taken here and there. and. It, Oh, please, you're driving me crazy. Uh, and it's nice and it's good for him. And I have nothing but praise for the fact that, that he is talking about these things. But it's not going to go anywhere, see. And uh, if he found out that I was uh, Jacques Vallée's best friend, that would be it. He, he would send the, 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 uh, the constabulary out here and kidnap me to get him on, me on his program. No. The same thing with, the, with what's his name, the guy who's going to become a billionaire. <laughs> he was in the Navy for nine years, I think. Uh, coast to coast, what is that coast, what is his name? George Norrie. <laughs> and George Norrie, and that's fine, and it's wonderful. And they're going to go around in circles, they're never going to get anywhere. It's not going to prove the thing, and they're waiting for disclosure. So supposing the president says, yeah, we've been uh, affiliating ourselves with some aliens, it's not going to mean anything to people. They're so involved in their own craziness, in their own belief systems, in their own inculcated conditions. It, it, it's like a hopeless mess. It, it's like you take, if you look at a glass of milk and you pour in chocolate, well, so you see it, it's nice and stiff. Then you mix it up and it's all mixed up. You know, and this is the way our memories are. It's all mixed up from thousands, it's from hundreds and hundreds of trillions of vegetarian. The word vegetarian is interesting, it's V-I-G-I. And uh, it's the biggest number that the mathematicians can work with. You can't, it, it, what is it, there's enough zeros to go around the block or something. <laughs> and then, and then they, they codify us in the DNA with X, X. That's not what it is. What made the X? What made the O? What created a blade of grass or a thought? How does this happen? That we can talk to each other subliminally? I mean, you know, one of the things I liked about early was because somebody who loved somebody very much could say, I hate you, but you could see the body language, the facial expression, you knew that it wasn't true. Uh, but now it, it's, it, it's so mechanical, it's so artificial. Uh, this, this desperate need for artificiality. As a matter of fact, one of the great stories that was written in 1933 was written by John Campbell. I don't know if you know the name. He was, he was the editor of uh, Galaxy, uh, no, of uh, what do you call magazine? I, I, it might have been Galaxy, one of the uh, science fiction things. 
And he wrote about this, uh, the story was interesting, and I'd like to tell you about it because I'll, I'll tell you why, there's a good punchline to this. This guy came from the 60th century, and he tried to come back, but instead he comes back to 1933. And this guy picks him up in the road, he's in a car, and the guy's voice is like an organ, you know, he's going to make him different. And he says, I'm sorry, I shot, I, I, I overshot. I was going to go back to the 60th century, but you know. And he said, everything is not only artificial, but there are no, no human beings around. Everything is all, the computers took over. When you've got more than two and a half hours of audio to comb through, what better place to pause the first part of our conversation with Jack Katz than with his haunting words that the machines have taken over. You might have heard a few fun interruptions. Uh, we were visited by some guests who were aware of our interview and stopped in to shake our hands, say hello, and give us their names. Unfortunately, Jack was in the middle of a really great moment, and I couldn't just pull away from what he was saying to engage with them further. So you might have heard their uh, brief stop in and my inability to uh, make that any more of the conversation than it became in the audio that you hear. But I hope you enjoyed the opportunity to hear Jack's thoughts on comics, Dostoyevsky, UFOs. Um, his thinking on creativity and synchronicity and as you heard in this last segment uh, this concept of, of fear and its role and what it can do and how it, it can impact and limit us we'll be coming back with the second half of our interview with Jack Katz you'll also get the chance to find out just what happened after the machines took over. Thank you again for listening. And subscribe and stay tuned for the next installment of an interview with Jack Katz. Thank you again for listening to Storytelling with Seth. Whether you're listening on Anchor, Radio Public, Breaker, iOS, Google Play, or one of the many other platforms available, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. And if you're one of those generous supporters, thank you. If you didn't know, you can support my podcast while you're listening to this recording Feel free to take a look for the link that says to support me, which should be a really simple little button. And if you're having any trouble, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. And I'll make sure that I'll do my best to help. But your listening, your continued support is what makes these podcasts possible. And I couldn't do it without you. So thank you again, not only for listening, but for your generous support and for all the different platforms that you listen to Storytelling with Seth. I look forward to sharing my next story with you soon.